Hi, my name is Scarlett Lewis, and I'm the founder of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Movement. I'd like to welcome you to the Choose Love Podcast, a place where we can come together in love and discuss how we can all choose this in our daily lives to take what we've learned and use it to help make a safer, more peaceful and loving world. I'm here today and so excited to be with Christine Carlson, number one New York Times bestselling author of, uh, with her husband, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff, Richard Carlson, and uh, also um, author of Heartbroken Open about her experience of uh, after Richard's death. And, uh, you know, I, I know that Oprah talks about the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff series. And this is a Bible for people that they should have by their bed. It's incredible. You can live your life by this. Uh, if we did, uh, we would have a safer, more peaceful and loving world for sure. And this too, this book too, Heartbroken Open is such a beautiful, in fact, you're, you're an amazing writer and you. you describe your journey so beautifully through grief and, uh, and, and this is a gift to the world because uh, heartbroken open, I think that there's, there's so much, and I've learned this from my experience too, so much fear around grief, which is also a normal part of life and something that we're all going to be faced with if we haven't already, um, but very little is said about it. We're not taught about it. We don't talk about it. And, uh, and so you took that courageous journey in heartbroken open to do just that and to share how you learned from it, grew through it, were actually strengthened by it. And then you took that wisdom to help all of us on, on our journeys. And so I just want to thank you beforehand. This is really, this is really an amazing work. Oh, thank you so much. You know, it was a very raw book. Um, that book was actually written from my journal. So I kept a journal, which was, of course, we write in our journal as if it's a very private, it's a very private journey when we journal. And I had worked with an editor when um, I wrote that book and she wove my journal um, into the teachings that all the wisdom that came and I'm sure you've experienced that too. There's just so much, it's so surprising what grief and going through loss has the power to do for us, you know, and I mean, nobody that's in it and I didn't either, you, you can't really see it through the storm when you're in it. Like you, you can't, Nobody's going to say, oh, we, yay, I'm going through grief. <laughs> you know, like we don't invite it. But I was really surprised and shocked at all the things I thought about grief and how grief actually was. It's kind of like those experiences in life that, you know, you, you wonder, oh, like, what if you're in the doctor's office and somebody tells you you're going to die? Like, what's that going to be like? And you have no idea because you haven't gone through that. And you have these ideas about what it might be like but then it's actually quite different. And there's aspects of that that enrich your life so much. And that's what I experienced. And what I was really driven to share was the awakening aspect also of going through grief. And then I thought I had so many tools, emotional tools going through this, having co-authored with Richard and the Don't Sweat the Small Stuff books and having studied so much psychology and so much spirituality. And I thought, oh my God, how does anybody normal get through this? This is so awful and so horrific and so incredibly painful. It, it is absolutely, I remember just laying on my floor thinking if I were an older woman, I would die because I could not live through this pain. And I mean, I can't imagine how you felt, you know? I mean, I, I just, with Jesse's death and the way it happened and stuff. It just, it's just, you just don't, can't, the unimaginable is unthinkable, but somehow we get through it. Uh, uh, you know, I, I too started my book, Nurturing Healing Love from my journal. I remember, um, and I too, I mean, there's so many similarities in, in our thinking patterns. Um, I, I practice being present. 
with my kids. And I remember that day saying, as you did, I want to be present. I don't want to be out of my mind. I don't want to be on any sort of medication. I want to honor Jesse's life and being present in the moment. And I want to remember everything. I want to remember what people said. I want to remember, uh, you know, the wake and seeing him in the casket. And, and I just want, I want to be present. This is part of life. And, and, um, and then about a week later, I found that because you are traumatized um, and it does affect your memory and brain about a week later, I, I was finding myself saying, I can't remember this and who was there and, and who said this. So I literally opened my laptop and I started writing in a journal. And I, I remember my whole family around me and I was like, okay, fill in the blanks for me about what happened over the last seven days. And, and I remembered a lot, but they did. And then I actually took that journal and I gave it to a co-writer. And so we created Nurturing Healing Love together. So that's amazing to me that these, both of these projects kind of started out the same way. Um, pretty amazing. And, and, and it, you, you keep coming back in your book to the importance of being present. And uh, it's, it's hard to do. And I think maybe that's one of, one of the uh, pitfalls that people have when they are facing grief is that they it's they they have built it up so much in their mind and it's so painful that they numb themselves or uh they they do they they just can't be present in the moment i mean let's face it it's easy to be present at a birthday party when everybody's celebrating you right but it's a lot harder to be present in difficulty but it's precisely then that enables us to, to take our personal power back and, and, uh, and, and not be a victim, but see it for what it is and be able to move through it a little bit quicker. And, you know, you, you decided like I did not to be a victim. Um, and that was, making the choice to be present with your grief and understanding that you would get through it. Um, I had that time too, where I was thinking, am I going to survive? And, uh, and you, you actually um, came up with like worst case scenario, right? It was interesting right away after it happened, you thought of something that would be worse. And I did too. And so I thought, okay, there is something that's worse. So, because everybody would say to me, oh my God, it's the worst that could ever happen to a human being. And I thought, no, I've thought of something worse. So <laughs> be worse. So, <laughs> one of the worst things, <laughs> right? But not the worst. I don't know, for some reason that was really important to me. Um, and, uh, and I think that I, I love, I love, love, love that Richard was such a big part of your healing process. Yeah you know, and, and that he was present throughout your journey and that you saw him. And, and it's the same with Jesse. I feel like he's a big part of my healing. He has shown himself in similar ways that Richard would do to you. And, and you, you kind of realize that there is still a relationship. It's not the one that you want. Um, it's not the physical one, but, but it's a new relationship and it's just as powerful but it's more ethereal. Yeah, I, I think that was one of the big shocks. I mean, I, I always knew because of my spiritual foundation, or at least I hoped, you know, um, that there would be this way to feel, you know, our relationship and feel our love from the other side here, wherever, you know, I don't really think of it as the other side anymore. I feel like it's right all right here. It's just that there's kind of a, a veil of, of memory issue that we have. <laughs> I really think it's just a perception of reality, actually, you know, that's what I really think, but um, I don't want to get into that. That's a whole other, a whole other conversation. <laughs> Number two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but I feel like um, when we can decide that we don't have to move on, that we move forward is different. It's a different, it's a different experience. Um, I could never move on from Richard and I know you could never move on from Jesse. And 
And yet living on and living, uh, moving forward and carrying them with us is really the way to create that new relationship. And, and I had to immediately um, decide immediately, I decided that I had to live for the both of us and that, and then I started to really feel Richard, you know, I, I was so accustomed because we both, he worked from home and we spent a lot of time together, more time than most married couples ever do. I, I was very um, accustomed to being in the room with him and not talking and just feeling his energy. Mm-hmm. And so that feeling, I, you know, I still get it. Like many times I'll be like, I'll just be like, oh, there he is, you know, like I can feel him. Mm. And, and so I think it's up to us, you know, and I, I think a lot of people don't understand that they don't really understand what we mean that we have to carry on a new relationship because most people are so attached to having things the way they were that they can't do that because that would be the ultimate acknowledgement that they have to accept what has happened. And yet it is through the portal of acceptance that you will return to joy and return to life again. And, you know, I kind of sense from you, like you're the same kind of like innately joyful person that I am. And one of the things that I discovered is that I have this really just innate love of life, you know, this just very innate love of life. And I never understood before I went through loss, um, you know, I, I mean, I grew up in church and stuff and, and I never understood what they talked about when they meant that you had to love God first. And I thought, no, 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 I love my family first or whatever. And now I know what that means in my own language. It means that you have to love life itself more than anything, because then it's not as if that changes the fact that you're going to grieve, but that changes the ultimate reality for you that you can return to joy because you love life and then you don't have to feel guilty about that because that's what we're all here to do is we're all here to experience all of life and part of experiencing all of life is also experiencing loss not the fun part not the part any of us want but it's part of it and it's part of the physicality of being alive. And it's something that really changes that physicality when you go through loss, at least it did for me, because it woke me up to the wide breadth of feeling that a person can have. And that on one side is sorrow and on the next side is joy, but they're really not that far apart. You know, they're just, it's like a, a, it's like you cry and you release and then you can go back to joy. So And if you want to experience joy, you have to surrender to grief and you have to, to go there. And they, and interestingly enough, they both come from the same part in your brain and you need both. Uh, And, and that's kind of something that I learned as well. Uh, You actually have a mantra that you use through your grieving process. Um, and it's surrender. And this is how your book was formatted too: surrender, trust, accept, and receive release and receive. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit about that? How those work together? Yeah. You know, it was interesting because from the beginning of my grief, I would start to repeat, um, a mantra and it was surrender, trust and accept. And it was just that I just, I didn't really know how to grieve, but I just kept saying in my head, I just have to surrender, trust and accept, you know, and this is a mantra that Richard and I, we learned it a long time earlier, many years earlier from a transpersonal um, therapist that we worked with. And so it, it's sort of the serenity prayer shortened, you know, like um, accept what you um, was the, I, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept what I cannot change, um, to change what I can and the wisdom to know the difference. And so surrender, trust, and accept, I believe, is like the shortened version of that. And I, it became a pathway for me. And then I added um, release because I really realized that, you know, we have to release the grief from our bodies, that it grief can get stored in the body and I didn't want it. I didn't want it to wreak havoc on my body. And so I wanted to release the grief 
And so I started to follow that path of surrender, trust, accept, release. And then I realized when I got toward, you know, when I, the more I did that, the more I was receiving this peace and this, you know, this feeling of I'm going to get my feet on the ground again. I'm going to be able to move forward in my life. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, and it didn't happen immediately, of course, but it took time and practice and, and just a lot of releasing, a lot of crying and a lot of releasing. You know, what struck me is that you, you kind of made a choice and you actually use that word choice that you were not going to be a victim in this situation. And I remember thinking, I don't want to be another victim of Adam Lanza. That was the shooter at Sandy Hook. And, uh, and that I had a choice. And, uh, and so forgiveness played a, a big role in me being able to take my personal power back. And a lot of people still don't understand that because we think that forgiveness has to do with the other person when really it, it, has, to do, no. right? it has to do with ourselves. Was there, was forgiveness any part of, of your healing journey? You know, not as much because I, I really didn't know. I mean, I'm not sure what I would have to forgive on on my situation, you know, because I mean, I just felt like, you know, Richard didn't choose death. I mean, maybe on some level he did, maybe on a totally spiritual level he did, but I wasn't blaming him for that. You know, it was like, we're all going to die. I mean, when yeah. none of us are promised a long life, you know, in my situation, um, I, I didn't, but I do understand that a forgiveness isn't about the other person. It's always about releasing yourself from the, um, in the grips, the claws of anger and of, you know, revenge and of anger and all the things that really are very destroying to your body and to your mind. So I love that you did that. And I, I totally understand that it isn't about forgiving that Adam, what's his name? Adam, Adam Lanza. Yeah. Adam Lanza. It's about letting yourself be free of the, of those horrible emotions that will take your life. They take, they steal your joy. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes when people are in grief and they've lost a significant other, they, um, they fall into blaming themselves for certain things and pulling things up out of the past. And I think that forgiveness is helpful. You, you and Richard had, I loved reading about the relationship and I'll say that you still have, um, it's still there. And, and I, I loved reading about it. And, and I, you know, I've, I've never had a relationship like that. And, and I hope to someday it would be like the one that you have with Richard, because I know that it continues. It was really a beautiful thing and, uh, and really quite the model for the rest of us to, to read what it was like. Really amazing. It, it really was. I mean, I, you know, I don't think that you can ever truly appreciate what you have until sometimes when it's not there and you realize, I mean, I think what, what Richard and I realized about our relationship was the rarity of it, that we used to say together that we had a lot of issues, just not with each other. (laughs) And, um, and so we realized that to us, our relationship was never a lot of work. It was, um, it was so mutually nourishing and, you know, at the time of when I met Richard, I always thought of him as so much more evolved because he had been exposed to Wayne Dyer and Ram Dass and, you know, all these great like um, spiritual leaders in the 80s, the 70s and 80s, these psychologists and stuff. He had been exposed to a lot of different things I never had been. And but we went on this um, spiritual journey together and, you know, we, we just did all this fun, really, we called it just like fun healing stuff. We just did his dad sort of extended this invitation to us at the time. Um, He said, well, you guys, you know, whatever you want to do for your healing, I'll pay for. (laughs) So we were in college and we were just like doing every therapy imaginable, like ever, like we did everything. And so by the time we were 25 years old and having children, we were very healed. (laughs) That's amazing. We were meditators. You know, we did all these meditation workshops. We studied all these different forms of psychology. We did rebirthing, Reikian, breathwork, holotropic breathworks 
fight cyto phyto something food sensitivity testing. I mean, this is all like, you know, 30 years ago. So we were doing everything and, um, and it was quite a powerful time in our lives. But the beautiful thing was that we were on this journey together and that was a journey that never ended together. We were always on that spiritual journey together and true partners in that way. And just very, very supportive of one another, you know, extremely supportive. And Richard was and truly was an extremely happy person and also very aware, you know, he's very present and super aware and very kind, like extremely kind. So I don't think he said one crossword to me and the girls our entire lives with him. Like I never, he, I don't think he said one cross word to me. Now I said a few to him because I had PMS to contend with. <laughs> and he could, he would say to me, gosh, you could be kind of mean sometimes. <laughs> but, but we really did have that rare, um, fun, passionate friendship, sense of humor together. And, you know, it, it really was a wonderful relationship. And, 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 um, I'm so grateful for it now. You know, at first I wasn't, at first I was really, I, I was a little bitter about it because I was like, how I'm never going to have that again. How, how can I be grateful for something that I've lost that um, that's causing me so much pain, you know? And, and then as I healed and as time went on, I knew I had healed when I had returned to gratitude because mm. oh, I'm incredibly grateful for it. In fact, I've always told widows the difference between us widows and and uh, um and other people that have lost their partners in other ways and if you were in a happy marriage the difference is your cup is half full and it will always be more than half full so that means everything else you need to put in there it doesn't have to fill up a whole cup you know <laughs> it only has to fill up a half a cup <laughs> yes. yes i love that image yeah, yeah. i totally see that I love that. Did you know Wayne? So speaking of Wayne Dyer, he wrote the introduction to my book. Oh, did he really? Yes, oh my God, that's so cool. He did. And I, I loved him too. And Louise Hay and the, the people that you referenced. And two months after Jesse's murder, I was asked by another Hay House author if I wanted to go uh, meet Wayne Dyer. And, and I, cause he was here and he was actually, actually I'm the same way as you after Sandy Hook, everybody came from all over the world offering their therapies <laughs> and it was all free. So I just said, absolutely. I'll try I'll it. Do all. it. <laughs> yeah, right. Nothing can, can hurt. And, and, and if it can help, that would be amazing. So I've literally tried everything under the sun, but I did realize then that there are two kinds of people. There are people like me that would say, yes, of course, let's do, let's try this. I've never heard of it. It sounds interesting. I get the concept. Let's do it. And those a little bit more fearful that would say, ah, you know, even with my recommendation, this is so incredible. It helped me. They would say, oh, well, what if it doesn't work for me? Well, you know, and, and just, I've never heard of it before. And I'd have to uh, look into it a little bit more. And, and so, you know, a lot of people didn't do that, uh, but I did. And I think that it really helped. So I, I went with Nick Ortner, who is, um, uh, on my board, and he is the founder of the Tapping Solution. Oh, and nice! Emotional freedom technique, which I, I love, love. That. Yeah, I, I love do that too. too. So he brought me to the Javits Center where Wayne was doing one of his presentations, and uh, I met him. And he asked me if I wanted to share my story to the audience. He said, "All right, well, I'm going to get up here. I'm going to just say hello, and then I'm going to invite you up." And I said, "Fine." So. Nick took a bunch of pictures off of my phone. And so while I was talking for about 10 minutes, we had all these pictures behind and that ended up being the, um, the trailer for my book, that talk two months after the tragedy. And after that, he said, wow, this has to be a book. If you, if you uh, will agree to write a book, I will write the forward. So that oh, was, that's beautiful. Oh my God. yeah, I couldn't believe it. And I always said, thank you, Jesse. Um, but but pretty amazing. But I also had, I, I was also on a journey. Um, I have a very strong faith and I grew up in the church like you did. And, and I was also on a journey that I have stayed on um, through 
my whole experience of, of just learning and growing and being the best person that I can be. I have an older son and I'm constantly aware of trying to model for him the highest and best yeah. <laughs> so that, so that he can see that in me and then he can do the same. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, and part of that was taking responsibility and, and uh, for, for my part of the responsibility for what had happened. Um, uh, I didn't see a lot of that happening after the shooting. And it was very frustrating for me. Like there were mistakes made, there were state laws that were violated and nobody was standing up and saying, Hey, we could have done a better job. Uh, we should have done this or that. And so I thought, well, I, I will be the one that stands up and says, look, we all have to take responsibility for the safety of our children yeah. and what's happening in our schools and what's happening in our communities and, and be part of the solution. And, uh, and you talked about personal responsibility in your book, and you said that it's a big part of moving ahead and not staying in victim mode. You said for you, it meant that you had to start, a, uh, start to separate that, which, and I'm, I'm reading from your book was under your control from that, which was not both in the present and in the past, it meant taking responsibility for how to live on. Right. I love that. Can you explain a little bit? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, um, if we look at the affect of our circumstances in any circumstances in life, then all we're saying is that we're, we don't have any choice. We have no responsibility in it. We're, we're just, we're just, like sitting ducks basically, right? So I don't, you know, there's a lot of things that happen and they truly happen and we didn't choose, you know, we don't choose them. But when something happens, um, if, you, if you're gonna be like, if you're gonna sit and live at the effect of that something, whatever it is, then you might as well be a sitting duck. And it's sort of like if somebody's shooting bullets at you and you, realize they're shooting bullets you're not going to just sit there and say oh here here bring on more you know what i mean you're you're going to do something differently you're going to make a choice and that's where i see we have our power is not that things not when things happen but how we navigate our world after things happen that's where we get our power back and and that's where we're ultimately going to find our our sense of happiness again um, I don't believe that people who are victims of their circumstances will ever necessarily return to happiness from that state of mind. Um, I think it's absolutely imperative that you decide that and accept, you know, you go through the process, whatever that is for you of accepting that this is what it is. I can't change this. That's the question. Can you change it? Can't change this all right, well, what am I going to do now? Like, how, how am I going to navigate this journey now? And for me, it was allowing grief, not suppressing grief. I, I don't believe in suppressing emotion. You know, I believe that if we suppress our emotions and suppress what we feel, then we're causing ourselves harm. And so I, I knew that. And I, I said, I'm going to go through grief, whatever that means. And I don't know how long it's going to take. I'm not in control of that either. Um, but I'm just going to keep on every day, um, asking myself, how am I feeling? What do I need today? How do I step into this day? You know, what do my kids need? Um, how can I help them and, and live my life from that lens and that vantage point until I, you know, was at a place where I was feeling like I could dream again and I could dream forward and I could be in my life in, in a forward way. That's such an important lesson. I mean, that's uh, making the choice, talking about how do you want your life to look? Because you have one life. So do you want to spend it in despair? Because that's one path. And you talked about coming up on, on this uh, diverging paths and realizing, oh, one of these is dark and leads to despair. And one of these is uh, personal growth and light, and I choose light. And, and I think you have to have some, some 
awareness and some skills and tools to be able to even know it's a choice. I think that's true. And I, I believe that's why I wanted to, I really wanted to write a lot about it. And, and you're right, um, Scarlett, a lot of people don't understand that. They don't, they, they, they don't want to believe that that's what it is. You know, it, it, they don't want to believe it's because it's not simple to do. It does take a lot of practice and you're right. It's a very deep level mindset and and you're right. You have to know that. I mean, and that's, that's why I'm so, I, I talk about it so much because I want people to know that's, that's what it is. You know, <laughs> that's at the crux of their healing. It really is. And that, and actually that's what we teach in our programming in the choose love movement from a very young age. A, a lot of this, a, a lot so of great. the, the ability to be able to have the courage to be with pain yeah. <laughs> and, and, and how to uh, learn from it, grow through it, be strengthened by it and use that wisdom, which you have to help other people. I feel like that's why we're here. And, and unfortunately, when things are going along smoothly and we're happy, um, we're not really in growth mode. No, but we're, yeah, we're, we're not. That's true. Right. When we're faced with difficulty, when we're outside our comfort zone, that's when we grow. And I mean, I experienced that too, with the loss of Jesse. Um, I, I it's, and I loved when you related grief to the birth process. Yeah, I bet. That was incredible because, because it is, if you, if you look at that, like how, okay, that life is gone. So how is this life going to look? And, and the amazing thing is you're an adult, so you get to choose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, another thing that you said, um, uh, and, I, and I'm reading from your book, you said, one of, the, one of the gifts grief gave me was the clarity to see that following my fear would heal me at a deeper level. Fear became a guide to freedom, the freedom to be me. Um, that is incredibly powerful. I found that as well. Um, you said, you asked this question often, what are you most afraid of? Whatever the answer, that is where you need to be. Follow your fear, face it and find love. <laughs> Wow. I actually used that with a friend today. And, and, uh, because it's so powerful, we are so held back by fear. What face your fear and find love. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's, I know it's crazy, but I, you know, I, I think about like fear is emotional fear, as long as it's not fear that is, um, safety related, you know, like like um, it's natural to, you know, to have a true amount of fear when you're standing on a cliff because that keeps you from stepping off. So it, that, that's the kind of fear that you want to listen to. But as, if it's an emotional fear, what I realized is that the ego mind, which is that part of our mind, which is really working on overdrive to keep us emotionally safe. Um, in a very incapacitating, decapacitating way. Like it's not a good thing. Like, cause I equate that kind of safety with emotional death, you know, that, that when you're that safe, you're not growing, you're mm. not um, putting yourself in a place of growth. Um, you're not, you're just, you're stagnant likely if you're living in fear and it could cause a lot of other problems for you to live in that kind of fear for a long time. But what I realized is that the ego manufactures this emotional fear. And so the natural instinct is to move away from it, do what you can to get away from it. So it's counterintuitive to say, I'm afraid of that, emotionally afraid of that. So I need to lean into that. That mm -hmm. brings up fear for me because my ego doesn't want me to go there. But what I learned is that just behind, right behind that, right through that was my most authentic expression was love because ego dies a death in love. There's no ego doesn't exist in the present moment. It only exists in the fear of the future or in the regrets of the past. It, it cannot exist and align in the present moment. And so 
I started to really realize that in, in this whole process, because I'd been so broken open and I could feel my fear rise. And then as soon as I leaned in and I pushed through, I was like on the other side of it, it was just so blissful. Like I, I, you know, everything awaits you on the other side of your fear. And, um, and so I, I just, I really just understood that at such a deeper level than I had ever understood it before. And I had studied it for a long time, but I just didn't quite get it until I went through. Um, so I was really broken open in my, in my grief. That was really beautiful. And that really hit me because following Jesse's murder, I, I suddenly real, I actually remember the moment I was sitting on my mom's couch and I had this strange feeling in my body. It was maybe a day or two after the tragedy. And I usually don't sit still, but I was sitting down on a couch, which I normally don't do, just not doing anything, but feeling what I was feeling. And it was this, it's hard to describe, but it was uh, like an energy and it was a really good energy. And I, I thought, what, what is that? My son was just murdered. And I, you know, I'm the lowest that I've ever have been in my life. And I felt this incredible feeling welling up inside of me. And I realized all of a sudden I I'm living without fear. I have no fear for the first time in my life. And it was the most amazing experience because for the first time in my life, I was without fear and, 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 and to feel like that. And I, I lived like that. I, I, I actually credit that to have being able to start the choose love movement and do everything that I did and make decisions. And I was working from a point of not having fear. And I remember the day that it came back, it was about a year later and I was packing my bags to go on yet another trip to talk about choosing love. And, uh, I had this, this, this little, like, it was almost like a snake and it came up out of my, the, the deepest, darkest part of me. And it looked at me in the face and it was kind of like a fear of getting on the plane. Cause I still had uh, a son and, and he was 12 when Jesse died. So he was probably 13 or 14 when I was planning this trip and, and I thought, oh wait, he still needs me. And so then this snake came up and it looked me right in the face. And I literally had, I was like, oh, there you are. I wondered where you were because I haven't seen you in such a long time. And, and now you decided to rear your ugly head basically. And, uh, and you're back. Um, but that was, that was just an amazing experience. And I loved when you talked about that. And, and I think that I hope that that challenges the people that are listening to think about what their greatest fear is and then to face it, knowing that love is right on the other side. And for the most part, um, what we fear uh, doesn't happen in our lives. So true. That's so true. Most of what we fear. And then some of the things you don't fear happen too. <laughs> That's true. I know. I was never fearing, you know, having no. murdered. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't afraid that Richard would die in midlife either. <laughs> right. Right. So in other words, you know, you, you, things happen that you never even feared. And then the things that you fear don't, don't happen. happen. And there's actually a statistic. I think it's 97% of the things that you fear every day never happen. So yeah, that's uh, pretty big. Yeah, <laughs> that is really big. Yeah. Um, so I, I loved how you described your experience at one point in the book as a post-doctorate education in the classroom of life. <laughs> that was amazing. And, and, and another lesson in surrender, trust, and acceptance, which is what you and Richard would say, kind of part of your mantra, but okay. that was so powerful to me because there are things that we can learn in the classroom and, and actually a lot of the essential life skills that we need we aren't taught. And right. if our parents don't have them, they can't give us what they don't have. And then uh, if, if we don't learn them in school, either we get to be adults that don't have them, which, which by the way was me. And then you go through something like we've been through, and then that's our education. 
And, uh, but there, there is the ability for us to learn some of this stuff before we, we get to a place where we're just, you know, we have the rug pulled out from underneath us and then we don't have any skills and tools or awarenesses to get back up on our feet or it takes us a little bit longer. Yeah, it's really, it's so important. Like people, I'm sure you get asked a lot too, like, can you prepare for loss? And, you know, the only way that I've ever thought that you can prepare for loss is in how you live day to day. And if you make your personal development and growth a part of your day to day experience, that's actually what builds resilience because you, you, you are growing a tool set. You know, if you live unconsciously, I mean, I've seen this, you know, I've seen people, they live, they, they feel like they're living a happy life. They're living a great life. You know, they're, they're, but they're very unconscious. And then something happens, a big change happens in their lives and they don't know what to do because they've never really been conscious about their choices or their decisions. And those are the people that feel the most victimized because they're so unconscious. They don't even realize that they do have the power to choose, you know, they're, they don't, they, they have to learn all this stuff in the midst of crisis. And that's hard. And, and it was hard. It's hard anyways. You know, even if you know this stuff to practice it in the midst of crisis, it's hard, huh? It is hard. It is hard because you are weak. You are weakened. Yeah. And on the other hand, you feel like you're the strongest human in the world that you can just get out of bed. <laughs> Like you have this superhuman quality because you're thinking, I don't even know how I'm getting out of bed. Right. Because that becomes a monumental task. Exactly. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I, I, I thought it was really interesting when you said you learned that grief is your friend, yeah. not the enemy. And that there was a difference between grief and depression, because I, you know, that's, that was so interesting to me. You, you said that grief is the emotional response to the pain and agony of separation. Whereas depression is what happens when these emotions are pushed down and unexpressed. And I, I loved that. So you actually didn't go through depression. I never, I, I, I've never really truly been through, well, when I was younger, I would say I did go through depression, but that was a whole other life, you know, like, and, and, and since I've been an adult person, mm-hmm. I would say I've never, I've never gone through depression in my adult life. Um, but I went through tremendous grief and yeah, I never, I never did feel depressed. You know, I just, um, because I was in such full expression, you know, I cried when I needed to cry. Um, I lived to my needs. I, you know, if I had a dental appointment scheduled or, or something for my kids, if we were grieving that day, I canceled it, you know, and, and, and you know, I just lived in a different level of self-care um, then. And I learned to what real true self-care was when I was in loss, you know, self-care is what you do when you're having a baby. <laughs> You, you know, remember that? Like when you're having your baby, you knew exactly what you needed. Like you were like, I want this. <laughs> and you're like, now, yeah, now. <laughs> that's what it's like, right? Like you're, you're so in tune to what you need and what, you know, the kind of, um, you know, I need silence. I need people. I need this, you know, you just know. And, and I found that to be very, interesting the heightened level of awareness of of that was very interesting to me in grief as well yeah and that was um that was survival too i think that's kind of your survival mechanism kicking in and saying what i need for myself um you have a chapter on laughter and uh you know, Jesse left a message. Uh, we say, you know, the two most important things that you do every day, choose love, nurturing, healing love is it forms a formula for choosing love. And then uh, JT actually found this little note on his desk, right? The first time that he came back to the house and it said, have a lot of fun. That was the last message that Jesse left for his big brother and uh, uh, laughter as healer. Um, and you, you talk about it as something that pulls us into the present, uh, as well. And, um, 
you know, we laughter is a big part of the movement and living in the present moment is probably the most powerful survival techniques uh, that, that we have. And, and you totally. said the, the same thing. Um, in fact, you said laughter is the ultimate release. It is surrender. And that goes back to your mantra of surrendering to what is um, that saying it is what it is. Yep. Um, I know, uh, my mom used to hate that saying, I hate that saying, I hate that saying. And then at one point after Jesse died, she was like, but it's true. It's true. I know. I know. I think for uh, Brene Brown says she hates that saying too, <laughs> but it's true. Yeah. Yeah. She says she hates that saying, but I think it's totally true. And it, and it's actually a saying that's always helped me. I mean, it's helped me to surrender because it reminds me, yeah. you know, I, I, again, I always say there's only one question you need to ask if you want to know if it's something you need to surrender to. And it's, can I change this? If it's something you can change, you don't have to surrender to it. You know, you can change it, but you have to take action, you know, and, and that, that should be the question that either leads you to action or leads you to surrender, to surrender to what is present. Yeah. And, and surrendering when someone dies is a necessary thing to do. And it seems so obvious, but people don't do it. Yeah. I know. I mean, I saw that too. Yeah. You know, at one point, and, and this is just getting back to depression for just a moment, you said that um, anger is the reverse side of depression. Yep. Can you explain that? You know, like, um, when we have suppressed anger um, that's not expressed, that is, that, that, that is very highly associated with depression. Um, it's just good to know, you know, that yeah. it's okay. You know, anger, anger is not a bad thing. Anger unexpressed healthily is a bad thing. Um, it's, you know, we all have anger and but, it, you know, we, we don't, we're not taught necessarily how to express our anger in a constructive way. Um, but if we deal with our anger right in the moment by just acknowledging it and saying, you know, I'm really angry right now, you know, I'm angry. I mean, that's really all it is. You know, anger doesn't mean that you're like screaming and shouting and hollering and having a tan temper tantrum on the floor, like a three-year-old. Anger is, is an emotion that is like fire that, you know, you, you want to, allow it to be present. If it's there, you want to question it with curiosity and then you want to do something about it. You know, you want to let yourself have that moment if you need to. It's when we don't let ourselves have those moments of feeling, whatever that feeling is. Yeah. That's when we get into trouble. And, and it's really sad because we do live in a very suppressed culture, mm -hmm. you know, a very, very emotionally suppressed culture you know, and it's, it's, it's super, super sad because more people need to make grief a friendly experience that isn't something that we shy away from because it's sad. I mean, we don't shy away from a sad movie. You know, we watch them. We don't, we watch games of Thrones, you know, <laughs> with all the mayhem and grossness and, you know, all of that, like the anger present there. But, but when it comes to ourselves, you know, we need to be more comfortable with just being where we are and allowing ourselves what children allow themselves naturally, which is to just be in that moment, express what they're feeling. And then they're skipping and skipping along joyfully again. I mean, they're the best teachers of unsuppressed emotion there is until, until all of us parents get a hold of them and say, be quiet. <laughs> and believe me, I told my kids that too. <laughs> So as evolved as I am, I'm not. <laughs> when it came to my own kids whining, I was saying, stop whining. <laughs> whining is different than crying though, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I think I had a, a few suffer in silence moments with my kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean that when you're talking, it brings up the image of when you were in the car and I think you had just gotten the news and you just started wailing and oh, you yeah. looked over and there was a mom with a daughter and she was kind of like scurrying her away from this lunatic in the car that was, you know, and it's kind of like, um, that's, that's how we're seen. It's this whole, it's, you know, and that gets us into the whole stigma around 
mental illness. And, and, you know, that is, gosh, you're talking about your brain. And if you said that, you know, you're going to the doctor for your arm because it hurt, you wouldn't think twice about it. But if you say, I'm going to the therapist because I'm having issues getting through grief or depressed, then people go, Ooh, well, that's a problem, you know? Uh, and, uh, and I think, you know, we're trying to help move through that, through that stigma as well, so that we can focus on mental wellness. Um, so important. And, uh, you, you, you said regret and I'm going to go into regret. Regret is a, and then maybe wrap up because I don't want to take too much of your time, but, but I would love to connect again. Oh yeah. uh, No, this has been great. You're so, you are just a ball of energy and love. (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh. Well, I love you and I love your book and I love the, the, the whole concept of, of, talking about grief and, and normalizing it and helping other people be able to move through it. People grieve every day. I mean, right now we're all collectively grieving the loss of, of some freedoms and, and, you know, movement and, and the world that we thought we were going to have, it's different now. And so this is really, really an important conversation because everything that we're saying can be related to every aspect of grief. Um, oh yeah. And the world is really sweating the small stuff right now. I don't know if you've noticed that <laughs> everybody's sweating everything right now. <laughs> don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff. It is and, especially and you don't, at the end of your life, <laughs> especially when you suffer a significant loss, loss. in your life, uh, you know, like that was a, that was a beautiful freeing thing for me, honestly, It is when, when I, when I don't want to say, and, and you said this too, and I always hate when people say, oh, you lost your son. No, I, I didn't yeah. lose him. I, I never didn't lost lose him. him. I never, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I remember doing an interview and my mom was there and I said murder and I got off and she goes, should you really say murder? Because it just sounds so horrible. And I'm like, really? Because that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't lose do you want him. me to he, soften it? He didn't pass. <laughs> right. I didn't lose him. Um, and I always so, think pass is such one of those words too, like where, like, it doesn't settle with me that Richard passed. He died. <laughs> yeah. How about transitioned? Yeah. Trans- I do. That's okay for me. I'm okay with transition. He did. I felt like Richard did right. kind of, I right. feel like it is kind of like dropping your body, but not when your son is murdered. That's a different deal. Yeah. And, and, but the, but the beautiful thing was, well, first of all, I lost fear. And then also you realize nothing really matters. No, you're not (laughs) doing the small stuff anymore, ever, ever, ever. You're free from that. Uh, and, and, and you look at other people that are, and you just, uh, you know, you understand that they just don't know what, what is a significant event (laughs) worthy of, of angst. And, and it's not much in your life. And, and that, that's, that's the silver lining in what we've both been through. Um, you said that regret is a normal part of grief and we must remember there's no peaceful resolution to it outside acceptance and self-understanding. It is the ego's talon holding us in a position of resistance. We cannot change our past. We can only move forward and learn from it. Living with, and then I skip forward a little bit, living with awareness and gratitude is a choice that we have to make every second of every day. It's far easier to rest and slumber, but not for the long run. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many profound things in this book and it's all completely underlined. And I have so many people that I'm going to give this to for Christmas Aww. because it is, it's just truth. It's truth and and from somebody that has credibility that's been through it, that is an absolutely gorgeous writer and, and able you. to um, articulate your journey and what you're feeling uh, for the rest of us. And it was wonderful. And, and, and while you're at it, everybody that's listening, don't sweat the small stuff is honestly, if, if I hadn't already 
created the choose love movement, I would literally just take this book and take it into schools and teach kids this. This is not what we're teaching in schools, but this is what's really important. All of these things that you and Richard uh, came up with, um, it's, they're just, I mean, I, I look through the, uh, the um, contents and all of the chapters are the, the just essential life rules. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's so true. I mean, that, that is very, very true. It's just, it's about how we practice life and how we attune our actions to our values and, and really keeping life in perspective. I mean, if you can keep life in perspective, you've, you've pretty much won the game. <laughs> yeah. Perspective is a, a big, big, huge thing. Um, towards the end of your book, um, and, and we'll wrap it up here. You say, love is what has carried me into my suffering. Love is what has carried me out of it as well. Suffering opened me and now love moves me forward. Oh, well, uh, we, we so speak the same language, don't we, Scarlett? <laughs> it's so true. I was thinking that Christine is my soul sister. Totally, because... <laughs> totally. Boy, yeah, boy, we really do speak the same language. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's the language that that unites us all as human beings, the want and need to love and be loved and to, and the courage to live in it and uh, be present with it. So, um, gosh, I want to thank you so much. I know that, um, I know that your story heartbroken open is now a lifetime biopic starring Heather Locklear, yeah. which is really cool. You and I met through Elizabeth Rom, who is going to star me in the lifetime movie of nurturing healing love. Um, how was that process? Just you're going to actually be in it. I'm not going to be in it. Elizabeth's going to be me. You, oh, the, Elizabeth is going to be you. Oh, yeah. God, I love her. Oh my gosh. That's so wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, I think we, I think I'm, it was weird. I mean, it was weird. The first time I watched the movie, I thought Lifetime did a great job and they will with you too, like of maintaining the integrity of um, our story to the certain aspects of where it really captured the essence of us and our love and uh, the timelines all moved around and things are embellished and changed and that's a little trippy to watch the first two times like the third time I really loved the movie the first two times I was like oh, oh, oh you know like <laughs> how it happened <laughs> but now I'm I think it, I, I loved how the movie came out I in the end and I thought Heather did a wonderful job and she's just a really a great lady so I loved her yeah, it was a really nice, we had formed a really nice friendship. It sounds like you and Elizabeth have too. And it's just a really beautiful, that's just a really beautiful connection because Elizabeth will really carry your energy through. And that's what Heather did for me too. Yeah. She's really spent a lot of time with me and really trying to understand who I am and, and why and how, and really the meaning behind the choose love movement and the power behind that. And she's been very involved and it's, it's really been nice. And, and I look forward to, you know, it's my life's mission to share Jesse's message of nurturing, healing, love. So I really look forward to, to having this different medium. Oh yeah. It's, it's, cool it's to do be that. Huge. That'll be, per that'll be wonderful. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. Yay. Yay. Yes. Well, thank you so much for spending so much time with us and for sharing um, your story with us. And oh, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for being so generous um, just with your, with your heart, with your love. I mean, just your energy. I mean, the world is definitely a better place because Jesse was in it and it's definitely a better place because you're here. So thank you. Well, I appreciate that. And I will say the exact same thing for you and Richard and all that you've put out and the wisdom that you all share. It's something that everybody needs to, to learn and to have, and then to practice. It's just a way of being that's so beautiful and would um, really, really help create the world that we all want to live in. 
So um, thank you. Thanks thank very you. much. Thank you, Scarlett. It's so wonderful to be with you. We'll talk soon. It's all part of us. We can all choose love. It'll lift you up if you live.